foes, they're in business together. Danny Bush knows the Carlisle Group since years before, been raking in billions and itching for more. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. Go pink for freedom, go pink for peace. Code Pink by Emma's Revolution, and I'm Jody Evans, one of the co-founders of Code Pink. Welcome to our Code Pink radio show presented by WBAI 99.5 FM in New York City, WPFW 89.3 FM in Washington, D.C., KPFT 90.1 FM in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, and many other community radio stations like Western Mass Community Broadcasting, WMCB-LP 107.9 FM. We're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Check out our website, codepink.org radio, where you will find all our episodes from the last few years. This week in War and Peace, we see the Ukraine war waging on with no diplomacy in sight. Code Pink activists have made over 1,500 calls to Congress, and you can join them. How can this war end without diplomacy? It will not end with cluster bombs and the 20 billion more in weapons Biden wants to send. A recent poll reported that 65% of those polled do not think Biden should be sending more weapons. Whether it is because they know that weapons are not going to bring an end to the war, of course, only diplomacy can, or whether they think that money needs to be spent on the needs of those at home suffering from this unbearable heat, or those in Maui who have just lost their homes and loved ones, or those who are struggling to house their families and put food on the table. Spending all that money on more weapons doesn't seem like a good idea to 64% of this country. If you want to join us in calling your member of Congress, you can learn more at codepink.org slash peacemaker. Three and a half years ago, I was reading hate and propaganda against China. Felt like, wait. This was just like a few months before the Iraq war. And right now we are almost 22 years from when we could smell the smoke. And that became the full-blown fire um, where those who spoke out against the Iraq war or tried to get in the way of it were crushed. I'm thinking now of um, Ambassador Wilson, who came back from Niger. He'd been sent there by the government to find out about uh, uranium cake purchase. And he found out there was no such thing, um, was, which isn't what Rumsfeld and Cheney and all those wanted to be the answer. So they told him to shut up. And if he didn't shut up, they, you know, 
threatened him and he didn't shut up. So they outed his wife, who happened to be a CIA agent. And both of their lives were extremely damaged. And they spent the next few years unburying themselves from the distortion and the attacks. We watched in horror. Of course, a member of the Bush administration took the fall for it, but it 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 just became a distraction and did nothing to disrupt the lies. But both of their lives paid a heavy price. It was in September that Medea and I came to DC to call Code Pink to Bush's Code Red, Orange and Yellow to stop what we could see as a drive to war. We heard layers of lies and propaganda and hate on Iraq. 22 years later, $20 trillion of your tax dollars later, and in a recent report from the Cost of War Project at the Brown University, 4.2 million lives later, those lies and that propaganda are forgotten. Why don't we hear about the costs of war? Why don't we see the costs of war? What we get is a lot of propaganda and lies. But do we anymore get to see the devastation of war? What that hellscape looks like? No. That stopped in the early 70s when those photographs became what brought more to an end. So here we are at Code Pink, seeing the same patterns arise again. But this war instead is aimed at a country of 1.4 billion people with an economy almost equal to the United States. Iraq was a country of 26 million with a GDP of 35 billion. And you know, it was a country that was suffering under extreme sanctions over the last 10 years, which was preceded by a long war with Iran fueled by the US. So we at Code Pink have been working for the last three and a half years to say no to war with China. It's not our enemy. We need cooperation to address climate change and the needs of the people at home and abroad. Yet this year, for the first time in the history of the United States, a congressional committee was formed to drive hate on China. And we were there to disrupt their first meeting, um, followed by a week of teach-ins in the th 30 uh, members, congressional members' offices, um, letting them know we needed uh, cooperation not war. We've heard from leaders around the world that the US attitude towards China is threatening world peace. But we're hearing from Congress and the Pentagon, the drumbeat to war again. So last week, a major newspaper printed a front page article of lies, distortion, innuendo, mischaracterization, McCarthyism, and a complete contortion of our work for peace, insinuating that we must be working for the Chinese government to not be on the war China bandwagon. You know, like either you're for 
China, uh, or you've got to be with you know us uh, on this war China bandwagon. Uh, it can't be that we're for peace. We're for no war, no matter what government it is, no matter what kind of what that government does. War, as those leaders in the world have said, is threatening world peace. And since we know that war is the greatest contributor to climate change, it is threatening life continuing on the planet because China is also a nuclear power. So um, here we are being attacked. We couldn't have established our thoughts about peace and the need to end war on our own, even though we're feminists who've been working for the last 20 plus years to end war. The last 20 plus years, we've been working for peace and cooperation between countries. The last 20 plus years, we've been working for the lives of Muslims in Iraq, Iran, Yemen, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, Western Sahara, and of course, Palestine. No, instead accuse me of not having concerns for the human rights of Uyghur Muslims in China. Of course, I and all of us at Code Pink have concerns for the human rights of Uyghurs in China. And I'm constantly looking for ways we can be helpful and address their needs. But my concern, our concern, is that the Uyghurs are being used as a tool of hate and the drumbeat for war with China. Used to drive hate on China that already um, is being suffered by Chinese Americans. A recent study revealed that three in four Chinese Americans have experienced hate and violence in the last 12 months. Many afraid to leave their homes or their apartments. It's been heartening the last week to feel the solidarity and support from those who read the article and understood exactly what it was and named it in comments, in articles, in podcasts and radio shows, literally across the world. But as someone said to me earlier today, for those who don't know you, Code Pink and you have been tarred and feathered. You have been made scary and the article has scared others from speaking up. It has a silencing effect. Of course, Code Pink will not be silenced, but those who have been taking in the propaganda for the last four years will swallow it and believe it and close their hearts even further. That is what propaganda does. I have been saying that propaganda, this propaganda of hate towards China, it weaponizes your empathy and compassion and then uses it to, to drive war. For those close to us, it revealed the propaganda and how low the media will go to drive hate and separation and how deeply tied it is with the Pentagon and the State Department. But as one therapist who read it commented, every sentence was crafted to cause your mind and heart confusion. Even though the statements of denial were printed in the article, they were also ignored by what I call the US government scribes because I refused to call them journalists. That was not journalism. 
At Code Pink, we know that before they drop bombs, they drop narratives. Before they launch missiles, they launch propaganda campaigns. Before they roll out sanctions, they roll out perception management. And we know that if you choose to help them do this by participating in their propaganda campaigns, that then we would be just as complicit in their consequences as the military personnel and the weapons that carried them out. So one of those who spoke out about the stupidity and hated the article was Caitlin Johnstone. Now, if you don't know Caitlin Johnstone, I express, I suggest you get to know her um, and read her daily. I call it brain flossing um, because of, you know, like taking the imperialism out of your brain. She's mental hygiene. And Caitlin said that if you look at the facts, you quickly see that they expose nothing nefarious about Code Pink. What they expose is the fact that the entire mainstream political media class is pointed at war, death, and destruction across both sides of the pretend partisan divide and will attack anyone who tries to stand in the way of the worst impulses of the imperial machine. So this happened on a Saturday and on Monday morning, we launched a campaign st to stand together against the new McCarthyism that is targeting peace activists, critics of US foreign policy and Chinese Americans with our friends at the People's Forum and the Tricontinental Institute. We said, in the face of adversity, we say no to xenophobic witch hunts and yes to peace. Some of those original signers included Abby Martin, Ben Cohen, Ben Norton, Bashkar Sankara, Brian Becker, Chris Hedges, Claudia De La Cruz, Eugene Perrier, Jill Stein, Lee Camp, Rania Kalik, Robin D.G. Kelly, Roger Waters, and Vijay Prasad. You can join them in saying no to the new McCarthyism at codepink.org slash McCarthyism2023. That's codepink.org slash McCarthyism2023. Share this with your friends as where there is smoke, we must stop the fire. So I asked many young Chinese Americans who I've been talking about the situation with, you know, learning from them uh, how distorting it is to be a young Chinese American right now, that here you are an American um, living in a country and yet being of another culture. And the hate um, is being driven by this country that you live in against the country where your culture is. And I've been listening to them talk about how distorting it is, how hard it is to deal with, and how really un unmooring it is to their lives. And so I wanted to invite many of them on with me today to share what it's like to be a, a Chinese American in the face of all this hate and violence. And 
um, you know, that, that a recent study could show that three out of every four Chinese Americans is um, experiencing hate and violence in just the last 12 months. I mean, think about that. That this study showed three in four Chinese Americans experiencing hate and violence in the last 12 months. So, you know, I'm sad to report that no one felt safe coming on the radio show. And um, I was able to get one to come on without um, introducing them. Um, she's, um, Krista was born in the United States. Uh, she just relocated from the East Coast to the West Coast and has agreed to talk, um, but without um, sharing her name. Her family lives in Hong Kong. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm really, you know, we're talking about uh, how the growing hate and propaganda around China and how that is weaponizing the hearts and minds of Americans to agree to fund this war on China with their hard-earned tax dollars. And I just wonder, you know, for you as a Chinese American, like, how do you experience this? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, of course, I don't feel as safe going out as night any at night anymore, reading the news stories about violence that happens. Um, my family gets concerned about me. I feel concerned about my family. Um, and it's just, I, I'm like a very trusting, optimistic person. And I want to think the best of my neighbors. And I want to um, just be able to go outside and talk to people um, and not think that they're going to attack me. Um, and one thing that I will say is really um, kind of heart-wrenching to see is that this issue has been used to pit people against each other. Um, I think people are pointing fingers a lot. Um, and I think that stories, you know, where um, the person committing the violence, if they're Black or Brown, a lot of um, a lot of Asian people will look at that and think, oh, well, you know, we, we need carceral, carceral solutions and we need police and we need to go after these people for what they're doing to us. Um, and I think it's dangerous. Um, and obviously, you know, I do believe in justice and I do believe that people who... Um, who commit acts of violence um, should be given justice. Um, but I think, you know, this kind of media hype is causing people, um, causing communities to be divided. Um, when in reality, we need to be talking to each other and discussing solutions that benefit all of us. Um, so yeah, just on a personal level, um, feeling less safe and feeling just disheartened by the division yeah well and really you know we started this campaign china is not our enemy because 
we said instead of making it an enemy mm-hmm. and driving war, yeah. we to get together and cooperate for the exactly. people. And what you're yeah. articulating is that's already happening in the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. It's happening domestically. Yeah. So I also wonder like, what you think about this disconnect between um, how the hate and propaganda have contorted the minds in the U.S. and your experience of being Chinese in China. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's really heartbreaking because I don't feel I have a safe space to be proud of my heritage. Um, and I mean, myself and my family, we're very proud to be Chinese. And it's it's hard to say that in a lot of circles now. Um, my Both my parents grew up in relative poverty um, and they've, I have grandparents who still, you know, they talk about um, Japanese invasion and, you know, just have seen their lives completely change over the past years because of um, just improvements in the standard of living in China. Um, And they're really proud that Chinese people have worked hard um, to build up their infrastructure, um, to just increase the quality of life for its people um, and in a peaceful way. Um, So I think myself and a lot of Chinese people are just so proud of that. Um, I see a lot of young people from China now just, you know, being being happy to stay home, um, not really feeling like they need to go abroad anymore to get a quality education, um, which I think is amazing. And yeah, it's part of my history. Um, I'm really proud of it. And to really only see negative things out of the press, um, for the press to just interpret everything from China as something negative or nefarious. Um, I mean, like the way China handled COVID, it's like, well, actually, you know, a lot of us are glad that um, are glad that China did implement lockdowns to kind of keep us safe, you know. Um, and it, it just, I don't feel that I, I have any space to be proud of those things. It's always a little just being defensive. Um, and I think that's a real shame because um, just taking away someone's ability to be proud of their culture is really damaging. Um, And that's not to say, you know, I don't think that there are flaws. (laughs) No country is perfect. No people are perfect. Um, There's absolutely some terrible things that happen in China, but um, I, I would just like the space to, you know, have more nuanced conversations and just be able to be proud, you know? Mm -hmm. So I would like those spaces to exist too, because, um, this propaganda and hate is really limiting to what is a beautiful culture and a beautiful people. And mm-hmm. I appreciate what you said about, you know, that, that it is the Chinese people yeah. who raise themselves out of, you know, being the poorest country and the one of the 10th poorest countries in the world in the like yeah. 70 to this level. Yeah. Um, to not allow that sense of pride and accomplishment um, mm-hmm. 
that's pretty that's historical and yeah yeah yeah. So, you know, this recent article where it really exposed the, the hate and propaganda that took on Code Pink, you know, what? how did you feel after reading that? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was not surprising. I felt a lot of things. Um, and I thought the fact that they're going after Code Pink um, just it just goes to show that you all are, are doing the right thing and you're really challenging power. Um, so I really, I thank you for that. Um, and I, I totally make the connection between articles like this and hate that happens um, because it's like they're framing you as the boogeyman, right? Like you're a foreign agent um, or you work for state-run media. Um, when it's like, okay, well, what if they also just want peace? You know, I just want to tell everyone in the comments who are reading it and reacting to it negatively, like, well, maybe if you actually look up Code Pink, you'll learn that the work they do isn't so bad after all, you know? Um, so yeah, not shocked, but very disheartening to see. Um, and it's definitely irritating to think that, you know, an entire team of journalists um, did their research to try to frame things in a certain way that is false. Um, it's it's kind of like um, a sad reality for, for facts and objectivity. Um, and... Yeah, I, I, it, it scares me to speak up, but um, I definitely feel that there is a need to more and more after reading something like that. So yeah. um, do you think um, it's kind of like, you know, the freedom of speech, it doesn't sound like it feel, you feel like it, it exists for Chinese Americans, that freedom to speak. You've mentioned it about not being able mm -hmm. to be proud and then you know, recognizing in this article that you, you, you can't speak out for peace because you, you know, you, there's a kickback. Yeah. So, um, what would you wish for uh, as, as, a, as someone who has so much to share? Yeah, um, I guess I would just wish for people who, who read articles like this one that just came out to, um, to really, diversify the things that they read, um, try to read the other side, no matter how much you think it might be biased, um, maintain an open mind. And um, I think just talk to all kinds of people. I think just in general, if you are finding that everyone who you speak to agrees, um, seek out a different opinion, you know, and I think an open mind, a diversity of sources is always healthy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. I mean, I, what I feel like is that we hear, we read a lot of hate on China, but we don't hear a lot of Chinese voices. So mm -hmm. I'm grateful that you joined us today so that our listeners could hear your voice. Krista is courageous to have shared her voice with us and yes, to her call for other sources of media, to keeping our minds open and to critical thinking. 
which points to the importance of listening to the station you are on, to listening to voices that are not funded by the military industrial complex. Uh, oh, that which reminds me of another great show that took on the article that was Katie Halper's show last week, um, who's also on all these Pacifica stations when she interviewed Eugene Pierre of Breakthrough Media. He called the article a pernicious, disgusting, McCarthyite, racist smear of anti-war activists. So I encourage you to continue listening to independent, um, not military industrial complex funded radio. Right now you're listening to Code Pink Radio coming to you through Pacifica Radio's WPFW in Washington, D.C., WBAI in New York City, KPFT in Houston, and KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. We will be back after this break to talk more about how propaganda is driving this war on China and how to come together in solidarity for peace and not be used by hate. Carol Cheng on the classical Chinese instrument, the Guzying. You can hear this on the Coen Brothers film, Hail Caesar, starring George Clooney and Scarlett Johansson. It depicts the peaceful and quiet night scene under the clear light of one of the scenic spots of Westlake in Hangzhou. Hangzhou is a beautiful place and Westlake is a, is a kind of gathering spot. And it's not far from Shanghai. And 
near the lake are carvings in stone from 800 AD of laughing Buddhas um, near the still operating temples nestled in very rich forests. So welcome back. I'm Jody Evans from Code Pink, and you are listening to Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI in New York City, WPFW in Washington, D.C., KPFT in Houston, and KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. So as I said earlier, the hate and propaganda, they silence us. They silence voices. We heard about the fear and silencing from Krista earlier. And um, there was another young man that I, I asked to join us. And he said his family didn't feel that it would be safe for him to do so. So um, he, he decided he wanted me to share um, something that he just taught me today, which is the value of peace through the history of China, um, because that's what he wanted to talk about. That, um, you know, I asked him, how do you feel in the face of this hate? And he said, I just feel so strange that uh, the hate and demonization is going to a country and a culture that I know from my studies, he's um, been studying here in the United States, actually, Chinese history, but he knows it from, from living in China, that um, peace is, is core to the culture. And that's what he was trying to get me to understand and share. Um, he said that the character for peace um, was first seen in bronze inscriptions long ago um, and kind of came out of that philosophical understanding of the harmony of yin and yang. And I think it's important for us to like even think about that, that, you know, here's a culture that is strives for harmony. Um, probably something hard to understand here in the United States right now, but but that is that is the goal of the culture. Um, and the understanding the yin and yang and going for the balance. So um, he said that character gradually extended beyond just peace and harmony to describe what he called harmonious relationships between people and people, between people and nature, and then between people and society. So um, that it had this, as uh, a professor I was talking to today said, the sense of interbeing is very core to China, that um, there is who I am as an individual, but I, I am within a family, I am within um, my community, I am within a culture, I am in the world. And so it the the philosophy extends beyond just the, the person to their understanding of how far that connectivity goes. And so the understanding of, of the effects that we have, um, and it's not just about our selfish needs, but our interconnectivity with all things, including the planet. Um, so, you know, another thing he said was that there's, um, also a lot of discourses against war and um, 
that you find peace interwoven in politics and economy and society and culture and religion, really in all aspects of life. And it's it's very core in the in the Confucian canon um, that has greatly influenced the Chinese history. Uh, he says that it was talked about as early as 4,000 years ago um, in what's called the Book of Documents, uh, where there was an emperor who um, really talked about that, you know, the belief in peace. And he was able to get people to know well and use their own abilities and not compete with each other and build clans that were close and harmonious. And once he could do that, then they would coordinate with neighboring villages to be in that relationship of friend and friendship and harmony. And so it, you know, understanding that for them, peace is precious and harmony is their priority. Um, and not in a simple-minded way. It's it's super complex and how you find harmony. It's not letting go of self. It's being able to balance self and others. It's um, being able to uh, not be arrogant or cowardly, not be humble or overbearing. Um, you know, the, 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 the idea calls for mutual respect and in that mutual respect harmony is maintained. And um, I, <laughs> I heard from someone who had worked in the state department, he said, well, you know, if you're from China, if you're speaking to someone in China, you understand that that conversation needs to be based in mutual respect to even be heard. Um, and when you're dealing with the United States, it's, you need to make the person you're listening to, uh, you, you need to make them feel like they're the smartest person in the room. So uh, I, I call that, you know, blowing smoke up. You know, it's it's instead of having mutual respect in a sense, honesty and relationship, it's uh, that you have to make the other person feel smarter than you. Um, he also described this guy, Mosey, who was a philosopher um, who founded Moism. And that also is about non-aggression, not, you know, they're not fans of war and the, um, you know, matter, you know, that it, they understand that in war, it is the people who suffer. I mean, I, I would like us to get that across that it is people who suffer and these high level conversations about sending weapons and cluster bombs. I mean, those are going to kill people. And the lightness with which we deal with it, the lightness with which Congress votes a trillion dollars to war does not have within it the conversation of, and this is loss of life. This is a life. That is a, this is a, a parent, a child of someone else. This is a, a cause for grief, unthinkable grief. So um, um, Mosey um, is is someone who who really taught that and called for peace and rejected war and called it the great harm to the world that it causes damage to no matter what side you're on, the victorious and the defeated. 
And we know, you know, that in China's earliest military book, Sun Tzu's The Art of War, that no military operations should be mounted if it brings no benefits to the country. No war should be fought unless you are in a very dangerous situation. Um, so I think that, you know, he really wanted to be able to deliver this, but his family felt that it was too scary to have your voice heard in this time when three out of four Chinese Americans has been attacked and experienced some form of hate. So some something that gets lost in all the propaganda and hate on is the culture of China, is the beauty of the Chinese people, is something that we should respect instead of demonize. And we have to wonder why, why isn't that allowed? Um, as, as we heard earlier from Krista, um, it's what I'm learning from these young people that I'm talking to, um, that they're, you know, what is it to be able to feel the pride of what's been accomplished? You know, imagine being one of the 10 poorest countries in 1970 and being number two in the GDP in 2023. That must have engaged an enormous amount of dedication, commitment, hard, long work days to arrive in a place where they succeeded in taking everyone out of poverty, including the last 100 million of the poorest. Really, only to have the United States make you an enemy and circle you with 250 military bases, create disturbance in Taiwan, a place that the U.S. agrees is one with China, but is still arming. The U.S. is increasing its military budget with the excuse it needs it for China, which will in turn divert China's attention from building their economy to building weapons to defend itself. While the U.S. was using $20 trillion of our tax dollars to destroy entire countries in the Middle East, China was building up the infrastructure for a supportive, harmonious culture, again, for the people in China, after the century of humiliation. He told me much more um, than what I've shared, but to hear this in response to the insidious hate that is being propagated by the U.S. military through their media apparatus somehow lets us see how humanity gets lost in all of this. We have talked about the first casualty of war being truth and the second human rights, but right now we know that Chinese Americans are being attacked, are being silenced, do not have freedom to speak. It is important not to get lost in the weeds and remember war kills people. It is horrific and violent, and somehow the lies and propaganda distort our capacity to feel that. To know that war is a crime, as David Swanson from World Beyond War is so fond of saying, that we can be alive in 2023 and experience this move back in time to the, the horrific violence of war. We, we've known that, we, we, you know, after World War I and World War II, the hell of war. We heard the crushing stories of the hell of war, but obviously the people in the United States don't seem to remember that. How can we be allowing uh, 
65% of our tax dollars to be murdering innocent people and contributing to the horrors of climate change that gets worse and worse every year. Instead of lying about peace activists, shouldn't we be talking about how we are going to end our addiction to war and fossil fuels? Without ending those addictions, more paradise and Lahaina fires will erupt. Both say they were so fast and so furious without warning, but we are all playing with fire and we need to smell the smoke and be the alarmists that the propaganda is programmed to turn off. But we at Code Pink won't abide and I hope you won't either. I want to bring our next guest who also doesn't want to be introduced by his name. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, so, you know, we've been talking over the last few months and you've taught me a lot about what it is to be a young Chinese American in the United States when there's raising hate and propaganda about China. And um, I'm just curious, you know, as, you know, over the last few years, as the hate on China has kind of risen, what is that experience for a young man living in the United States? Um, yeah, it's in a nutshell, it's horrible. It's something I would never wish on anybody, quite honestly. And um, I think I'm one of the fortunate ones who has the space and privilege to take a step back and rationalize why things are the way they are. But um I think I am in the minority of people who have that space and privilege to really unpack the Chinese American experience, especially as a man, a Chinese American man. Um, because really like Chinese Americans are kind of at the intersection of everything, of everything that's going on in the world. In a world where there is a new cold war between China and America, and the whole world is torn between like basically the state-owned enterprise upstream resources, one like central planning system versus the downstream privatized, um, you know, price liberalization, neoliberal model, like every single country in the world is kind of stuck between these two systems and Chinese Americans, right, by way of their history and identity, um, it's like, it's almost like a modern form of like, what, what used to basically be a kind of, I mean, it's always been exploitation, right? It's always been exploitation. And like the Chinese American workforce really has always been a migrant workforce for the benefit of the United States. And you see this with various acts that were passed to basically import cheap Chinese labor for specialized STEM labor. Um, you know, the universities are basically like the Chinese version of Ellis Island, right? Like um, that's how many, many Chinese American immigrants came to this country in the past several decades through the H-1B system. Um, and that's really the only way. And so like, it really has turned nasty because the positive relationship between China and America always banked on the fact that 
America would be able to stay on the cutting edge of technology and be able to come up with all the schematics and own all the IP. And China would basically be the sweatshop to manufacture everything. And as long as China stayed behind, everything was okay, right? The system was stable. Um, but clearly that has changed very rapidly in this in the past several years. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unprecedented. It's totally unprecedented. And what China's doing is something that the rest of the world, the rest of the world outside of America and Europe has been trying to do for centuries. The colonial, like the colonization, the imperialism, the slavery, like all these things are the resistance towards essentially like European and American aggression has been something that so many countries have been trying to do for centuries. How do you speak about 1.4 billion people so homogeneously? I, I think I, I think an interesting analogy I considered what when I was in China was to me, if we were to simplify things, China, America is like a private school. America is like a private school. It's run like a private school. Its students are have the attitudes of private school students, right? Like they're kind of stuck up. They think they're the best. They think, you know, we have the best of everything. We're number one because we're private, et cetera, et cetera. China is like a public school to me. China is like a public school that is like really high performing, but they just don't have like the class privilege to get into like a private school. And I mean, you see, like, I feel like you see it in like the infrastructure and the way the central like the government does central planning, right? Like you have all this like gorgeous like infrastructure and it kind of reminds me of like, you know, there's like really well-run public schools that, I mean like, okay, I feel like really well-funded public schools are basically private schools because of like how taxes work and stuff. But like, that's like a separate issue. But like, it, it like everything is just so like meant for like large crowds and making sure everyone has an opportunity. And I think like America is just not like that, right? America is really about like status and being on number one and being on top and everything's privatized. And um, so like, <laughs> this might be a little bit out of left field, but I would just really say to people like, you know, like, you know how like private schools act and how they like look down on like public schools and public school students and stuff like that's basically what China and America is, you know, <laughs> like stop being mean to the public school kids. Okay. Like I know there's like a lot of them, but there is enough for all of us and you can like, you can, you know, you have enough. Okay. Thank you, Henry. I'm sorry I muted you as you were saying the U.S. is like mean girls. So fugly. Reminding me of a t-shirt from those days, mean girls are ugly, so don't be ugly. Um, I wanna thank my guests, even though I can't thank them by name for their courage to even be present um, with us today and share their voices. May we all turn to Asian Americans when we're in rooms with them to hear their stories and hear what they think about the propaganda that is driving war on China. A month ago, after my visit to 
um, DC to teach members of the hate China committee in Congress and hearing that peace had been silenced there, we launched our summer of peace. If peace can't be spoken in the halls of Congress, we must have a peace revival, make it visible, hear it, speak it, share it. Remember that all we wanted and want comes from the soil of peace. In this last month, there have been 200 peace actions across the country. Peace parades and peace chalking, calls to Congress, songs, life paintings, teach-ins, banner hangs, the downloading of our fire flyers to take to the Oppenheimer film. Um, you know, when please download them when you go, uh, because you can call on an end to nuclear weapons, which people appreciate getting when they walk out of that film. You know, you can start by doing things like putting a peace flag in your window, um, we pasting peace messages in your area putting up code pink stickers, handing out flyers, supporting peace through diplomacy in Ukraine or organizing a peace walk at your local farmer's market. We also have peace themed trivia games and ideas we are sharing each week from what other communities are doing and a once a week community call. What can you do locally to make peace visible? Do it and share it with us. Um, we share it on our social media. Summer ends the day after International Day of Peace on September 21st. We will have just been marching in the streets of New York in climate march with the message war is not green. Peace groups and peace lovers around the country are planning ways to make peace visible that day. Join with them. Learn more about it at codepink.org summer of peace. That's codepink.org summer of peace. If we want peace, it takes all of us to make it desired again, to help those around us out of the propaganda and hate into what connects us, cooperation, listening, and love. Remember, China is not our enemy. The people on the planet need global cooperation now. Until next week, find ways to be peace and share them with us. Let's make peace cool again. Thank you for listening to Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI in New York City, WPFW in Washington, D.C., and KPFT in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Bush and Bin Laden, you think they're foes? They're in business together. Danny Bush knows the Carlisle Group since years before. Been raking in billions and itching for more. It's blood for oil. We know there's a link. 